Got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast with Shay Hoodman, President of God Questions Ministries. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast. I'm joining me today is my wife, Melissa. She is the managing editor of GQKids.org. And two of us are going to be tag teaming and interviewing Elizabeth Urbanowitz of Foundation Worldview, who's the author of a new book for kids called What is Truth? So Melissa, Elizabeth, thanks for joining me today. Thanks Thank so you. much for having me on. <laughs> so just to start off, really all the questions are going to be easy and friendly. We love your book. We love the concept. But um, what led you to write um, What is Truth? And just out of curiosity, do you plan on this being a series of books for kids or is this kind of a, a one shot? Yeah, good question. So the first question with you know what led us to create this book at Foundation Worldview on the concept of truth is this is a concept we cover in almost every single one of our curriculums because it's so foundational. And we thought, you know, why don't we have, you know, help us have a broader audience so we can reach even more kids, you know, for some parents that might not want to purchase a full-on curriculum to be able to purchase a picture book to lay this foundation of truth. Um, and the reason that truth is so important is we live in a culture that just teaches our kids and us that the most reliable guide to reality is our internal subjective feelings. And so if we want our kids to understand who God is and his character and his nature and the reliability of scripture, we first have to start off with a concept of truth so that they understand that truth doesn't change with their feelings. It's outside of them. It's objective. And so when we're talking about God, we're talking about a being, the most highest, the most high and powerful being who is outside of them. So that was really our motivation for writing this book at Foundation Worldview. And then as far as is this going to be a series or is this just a one-off book? We actually, as we're recording this podcast, we just finished the illustrations for our second book, which is called Our Feelings Truth. Um, so Lord willing, that will be released um, in the summer of 2024. So we don't know how far we're going to go with the series, but we at least know that there's one book out and there's another one on the way. <laughs> So that's awesome. Elizabeth, a couple of days ago, um, we had a four-year-old come through our office. Um, she was visiting her dad at work and her name is Sayla. And I asked her to read through your book with me. And uh, I, we haven't showed the cover yet. It's called, it is, um, What is Truth? And of course, it has a great definition of truth, which is? Truth is what is real. Truth is what is real. Isn't that just so simple? We make it so hard, don't we? Well, I asked her to read through the book with me and um, she eagerly agreed. And we got to the point in the book where you encourage the kids to learn what truth is by playing a game. And um, for our listeners, just so you know, the game is um, ask kids to determine whether something is true or not true. And on the items that are true, they're to throw their arms open and say true. And what's if it's not true, if the statement is not true, they're supposed to make an X and say not true. Well, Sayla uh, really thought this was like, you know, she was going to get an Academy Award for this um, <laughs> per performance. And so she really got into it. So I thought it would be fun today to actually play the game with you two. So Ooh. I expect you to be just as enthusiastic as my little friend, Sayla. Okay, Shay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you here. Okay, ready? Ready? Okay, true. What do you do if it's true? True. true. Not true. <laughs> Not true. Not okay, true. ready? God is always good. True. true. <laughs> God's word is truth. True. True. <laughs> Shay, I'm not sensing the passion and enthusiasm of a four-year-old in your answers. True. <laughs> okay. Oranges are always purple. 
Not, Not true. true. <laughs> All right, this one's for Shay. This one's just for Shay. Shay is going to take his wife out for dinner tonight. True. Oh, good answer. Woo-hoo, right <laughs> answer, Shay. <laughs> oh, so I think my first question, you guys are great. Thank you for participating. <laughs> uh, why do you think it's important for even toddlers, my four-year-old friend, Sayla, why is it important for her or a young elementary student to get a foundation for just this basic concept of truth? It's such a, a crucial building block. So t- can you speak a little bit into that? Yes. Well, we know that especially at the younger years, kids are just figuring out how the world works. And they take one thing that they learn and they kind of turn it into a rule. Like, for example, little kids, you know, they notice that an ED goes on the end of a word when it's in the past tense. So a lot of times if there's a word that does not have an ED (laughs) at the end when the past tense, still still do it. Like for example, instead of saying yesterday I ran, most little kids will say yesterday I run because they take that rule and they apply it everywhere. And while in the in the case of language, it doesn't always apply. In general, it's good that God has designed little kids this way because when we teach them things like you need to look both ways before you cross the street, we want them to do that every time, even if there isn't a car on the road, so that the time that there is a car, they're prepared for that and they're safe. And so it's the same with the concept of truth. What we want to train little ones to do is to always be asking themselves, hmm, is that true? Or is that not true? And so if we can teach them from this young age to have that paradigm in their mind so that anytime they encounter something, they're asking themselves, is that true or is that not true? We're setting them up on a trajectory to seek and hopefully follow truth all the days of their lives, where if we don't train them in this way and they're just bombarded, you know, with so many messages each day and our cultural tide is just teaching whatever you feel inside, that's your truth. They're not going to be asking themselves when they hear something, hmm, is that true or is that not true? They're going to be asking themselves, how do I feel about this? Now, asking ourselves how we feel about something isn't an inherently wrong question. However, if we're asking ourselves that question to determine whether something is true or false, that's the wrong question to be asking. So that's why, you know, even from this toddler age of three, four, five, we want to train kids to constantly be asking, hmm, is that true or is that not true? So oh, Melissa, as, yeah. the, as the editor of GQKids.org, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I know GQKids.org, our site for kids, is kind of targeted for third graders, so a little bit older than what Elizabeth's referring to. But what are some of the most frequent questions we get at GQKids.org related to truth? You know, I was thinking about that when I uh, was asked to be on this podcast, and I think um, a lot of it comes down to the verse, um, John 17, 17, your word is truth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our questions are revolve around that a little bit older than what Elizabeth is talking about, but we do get questions from kids who are the same age as this book was written for. Why, why should I trust it? Is the Bible real Mm -hmm. or is the Bible a fairy tale? You know, how do I know what in my life is is true and what isn't? And like you said, the whole concept of feelings is very confusing. So, Elizabeth, can you talk a little bit about why it's important for our kids, even the youngest of them, to understand that God's word is truth? Like, why is that so important? Yes. Well, we know as Christians that God is truth. He is the source of truth, that everything that we know that is true, it stems from him because he's the creator and sustainer of 
reality. And so we want our kids to know that one, their feelings are not the most reliable guide to truth, so they shouldn't depend on that. But even because we're living on this side of Genesis 3, there are even times when our minds are not a completely infallible guide to truth. You know, there are times where our reasoning needs to be corrected. Um, you know, all of these things, our intellect, our will, and our emotion, or, you know, like our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions need to be corrected. And God's word is that plumb line. And so the, one of the reasons why we even created this book or talk with kids about this definition of truth, that truth is what is real, is we want to help even give them a foundation for understanding why God's word is true because obviously we want to teach them that God's word is true. But if we just always teach them God's word is true, God's word is true, God's word is true, and never give them any reasons why they should believe that, you know, once they get to to around like nine or 10 years old, as they're starting to question things and they no longer view their parents or, you know, whoever their caretaker is as the ultimate authority. And they're starting to question things and be more drawn to their peers. They're going to start to wonder, you know, like, well, what, you know, like, can I really trust the Bible? You know, why, why is it that I should, or is it just what I've been told my whole life? Where when we start off with this definition that truth is what is real, then we can help our kids see that the Bible gives the most comprehensive guide to reality that there is. You know, when we start to look at other worldviews and what other worldviews teach and we evaluate them, we can start to see the ways in which they fall short. You know, for example, just even thinking of morality, what is right and what is wrong and how we determine that. Other worldviews teach vastly different things than the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview teaches that right and wrong stems from God's character, that anything that aligns with who God is, is what's right. And that is what God commands us to do, where anything that goes against God's character, that is wrong. And so there is this objective standard of truth and for morality, where other worldviews, you know, if we look at the naturalistic worldview, which teaches that only the physical realm is real, nothing spiritual or metaphysical is real, well, you can't hold morals in your hand. You can't hold justice. You can't hold fairness. You can't hold kindness. You can't hold love. Those are, those are, um, intangible things. They're metaphysical. And so according to the naturalistic worldview, those aren't really real things. There is no such real thing as right or wrong. What it is, as humans, as a society, we've collectively seen, you know, what helps us survive the best? And those things that help us survive the best and live in harmony, those things we label as good. The things that don't help us do that, we label as bad. If you look at, um, you know, more Eastern religions that have been kind of morphed in the West, you know, we've adapted little pieces of them here and there. Well, Eastern religions teach that the spiritual is what's most real and that we are all connected through the spiritual. And so therefore, how do we determine right from wrong? We look at our heart and our heart always guides us in the right way. Well, then we see very clear examples of people who followed their heart that we would say, um, you're actually wrong. So anyway, I know, I know I'm digressing a little bit here, but just to say, you know, we want to lay this foundation of truth to help our kids see that the Bible provides the best guide to what is really real. And that when we compare what scripture teaches with what other worldviews teach, teach, we consistently see that what scripture teaches is actually what is real. Yeah, oftentimes in the, the first day of a class of, with kids, I often bring like a, a, a book of fairy tales and mm. a book of the Bible a book of the Bible. I bring the Bible. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I asked them to tell me what the difference is. Hmm. And some of them just stare at me like, wait a minute, is there a difference? Hmm. And that brings me to a question that you guys actually um, d 
discussed on your Facebook page or uh, social media pages this week about how when you have a class full of kids and some of them have no foundation for the Bible being true, and you have others who are being raised in an environment where their parents love Jesus and are fully devoted followers of Jesus, and they want their kids to have that worldview as well. How do you, as a teacher, or maybe even as a foster parent or some mm-hmm. other situation, a teacher, um, how do you um, how do you teach in that sort of environment where it's such a different, the foundation is different for various kids? Yes, that is a tricky situation. And I spent the first decade of my professional career as an elementary teacher in a classroom. And so I knew I know how challenging this is when you have kids of varying different abilities and levels and skill sets. Well, when we're thinking about specifically about, you know, a Sunday school setting or a kids ministry setting, our recommendation at Foundation Worldview is to aim high. Because a lot of times what we do is we aim really low and we're like, well, those kids whose parents are discipling them well, they'll get that at home. Let's help out the kids whose parents aren't discipling them well. And Do we want to help those kids out? Absolutely. You know, we want to love them. We want to help them out. But if we just dumb everything down to that really, really low level, every child in that classroom, whether they have high biblical literacy or low biblical literacy, is going to get the false impression that the biblical worldview teaches us to turn off our minds. Oh, Mm -hmm. this is so much easier than what I get in school. You know, this is so much easier than the classroom. You know, I even saw this in my own teaching in um, Sunday school. This was about a decade ago. Um, I was teaching Sunday school and I would rotate, you know, in and out weeks. Like there was a couple different teachers. And one time one of the students from the class saw me in the, um, like the foyer area of the church and he goes, oh no, it's you. And I was like, well, I'm really happy to see you too today, Samuel. (laughs) And I was like, why are you you not excited to see me? And he's like, oh, seeing you means you're probably our teacher. And I can't stand it when you're our teacher. And I was like, well, why is that? And he's like, because when anybody else teaches, I just say Jesus as the answer and they're fine with it. Except for you, you ask me why and you make me think. And you're not supposed to think at church. School is the place you're supposed to think. And so now... I quickly told him, I was like, Samuel, I know you didn't mean that as a compliment, but that's one of the best compliments a child has ever given me. But what he was able to articulate that most eight-year-olds aren't able to articulate is he already had this paradigm. You go to church, you shut your mind off. You go to school, you turn your mind on. So in our kids' ministries or any kind of instruction in a church setting, we need to aim high. And I don't mean aiming high Um, expecting third and fourth graders to be able to do college level stuff. But I do mean that we're still within the realm of what's developmentally appropriate, but aiming high so that the kids who already have a solid foundation, they're challenged. And so the kids who lack that foundation realize that they're lacking something and they want to be able to catch up because we can provide that support for them. But we we need to make sure we're aiming high rather than dumbing things down. Elizabeth, that raises an interesting question along the lines of what Melissa shared as well. Something I've often wondered, I've seen a lot of Christians who older kids um, get exposed to in middle school, high school, or even college, or for the first time in their life, they're exposed to some of the challenges with scripture or some of the challenges mm-hmm. with Christian theology. And the fact that they were never exposed to it in the church, in youth group with their parents, like, oh, you mean there's difficult passages in the Bible? There's passages that seem to contradict. So what would be your advice regarding at what point do you start preparing kids for the fact that there are um, difficulties in the Bible, there are difficult to explain passages, and there are aspects of the Christian faith that are 
really, really tough to understand. So what's your advice with that of how to bring that in as part of the process? Oh, I love this question. Thank you for asking it because <laughs> I love I love helping prepare people for these things. And you're absolutely right. We don't want to shelter our kids from all of the, um, you know, quote unquote difficulties in scripture. We want to prepare them to understand them. And when they have questions that they haven't encountered before that we haven't even encountered, that they have some skills to actually go out and seek the answer. So I have a few recommendations. First, recommend just from a very young age, have kids in scripture. Because a lot of times we think, you know, oh, it's not until they're like eight or nine years old that we can kind of like put the children's Bible to the shelf and bring out the real Bible, you know, the actual Bible where there are some really great children's Bibles out there. So I'm not saying ditch the children's Bible completely, but I am saying, you know, from even three or four years of age, we should be reading scripture to and with our children so that they can ask questions. They can hear what God's word actually says. Now, is a three-year-old going to catch everything in a passage? No. You know, like a lot of times, even a 33-year-old, you know, doesn't catch everything in a passage. But we want to make sure that we're immersing them in scripture because when we immerse them in scripture, these challenges are naturally going to come up. And kids ask some of the greatest questions. I remember um, back when I lived in Chicago, one, one evening I was babysitting for my pastor's kids. He and his wife went out on a date and I was babysitting for them. And as part of their bedtime routine, they would read through a chapter of scripture together. And so I was, they were reading through the gospel of John. So, you know, I just took that over as I was tucking their kids into bed and we were reading through Jesus when he was praying in the garden and their four-year-old goes, wait, Jesus is God. So Jesus is praying to himself, um, you know, it. like, and she just asked this yes. question and we were able to talk through and they had, they happened to be working their way through the new city catechism. So I knew they had memorized this question. So I said, wait a minute, how many persons are there in God? And their three-year-old goes, there are three persons and the one true and living God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And we talked through, you know, who is Jesus? Jesus oh. is God, the son. And now that isn't a problem passage in scripture, but it is a difficult concept that mm -hmm. she, their, their three and four-year-old wouldn't have had to wrestle through if they weren't actually in the gospel of John. So that's my first recommendation, you know, to actually be in scripture with our kids so that these things are just going to naturally come out. Then my second recommendation would be to have a mind shift that we tend to think as parents or Christian educators or church leaders that we have to have all of the answers. And when we do that, when our kids come to us with questions and we think, oh, I have to have the perfect answer, what we're doing is we're training them to view us as the expert and them as someone who's not the expert. And so then they're just going to be completely dependent on us, which once they get older and they don't really care so much what, what we think and they care more about their peers or the TikTok star, you know, or some college professor, they're just going to go to that person and be completely dependent on that person. So what I recommend is that we have this mindset shift and rather than viewing ourselves as the expert, we view ourselves as the guide. How can we train our children to find solid answers? Now on the Foundation Worldview podcast and on our our webinars, we are constantly recommending your guys' site because it's so helpful for finding solid answers, but also pointing people to scripture. So it's not just like, oh, you know, this is Shay's idea of the answer to this question. It's like, here's what scripture says. And so that's a resource that we can train our kids to use. We can say, you know what? We don't have the answers to all this, but you know what? Let's go on the Got Questions website. Let's read a few articles and then let's dive into the different passages of scripture in those articles. So that's what I would recommend. One, get our kids in scripture so that these things just come out naturally. And then two, shift our mindset from having to be the expert to actually being a guide who's helping our kids learn how can we find solid answers to difficult questions. Elizabeth, I love that. That's like the premise of um, GQ Kids. 
we never want a child to feel like he or she cannot ask a question. Um, And so uh, we allow kids to come on the site and ask questions. And we have people who answer them for them at an age appropriate level. And Mm -hmm. um, Shay and I had a pastor one time uh, many years ago that his parents discouraged him from asking questions mm-hmm. all the way through. And because it was a lack of, um, of faith, of not having it all together, of, of you know, you're supposed to present yourself as someone who understands, right? Mm-hmm. What a horrible thing to do to a child, yeah. um, to anyone really. But um, so we always want a child to be able to be curious and what a, what a better mm-hmm. place to do that, to Jiku kids or uh, with your worldview mm-hmm. curriculum. So um, I would love for you to share. One thing I love about the book is that it's a simple way to, it's kind of an organic way to talk about truth. And then the game makes it fun, right? So what are mm-hmm. some other ways for parents to be able to teach their children about truth? Um, even when they're, you know, my little friend Sayla's age, four. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have some fun ways or uh, maybe stoplight conversation type questions that you that they can ask their kids about that? Yes. Well, kind of what you just modeled, you took the game from that book and then you asked Shay and me questions and we had to answer. And so one of our goals with this book is that as kids and parents learn this game, that it will slowly replace the I'm thinking of an animal or I spy game in the car, you know, that it will be a fun game that they'll enjoy coming up with sentences for one another. But then that that will organically work into conversations that, you know, when kids are watching a show, you know, and a character says something, they'll, they'll say, oh, wait, that wasn't true. That wasn't true what they just said. Or, you know, a mom can pause the show, you know, and ask, hmm, was that true or that not true? So we're hoping that it will turn into a game. Yep, true and not true. We're hoping that it will turn into a game that families will just love to play, but then that they'll implement when they're watching shows, when they're having a conversation on the playground, you know, when they're doing homework or if they're homeschooled, you know, when they're doing their math or their history. Um, so that's really our goal. Um, one activity we give for older kids, you know, an eight-year-old might still be okay with raising their arms and going true, but it depends on the eight-year-old. <laughs> um, some some I mean, eight-year-olds are too old for it, that. So so. Maybe, maybe. The- yeah. So, I mean, it could just last for life. Um, <laughs> but one activity we recommend for older kids to get across the idea that truth is what is real is um, you can just have like a family treasure hunt, you know, figure out something that your kids would enjoy, like, you know, like a piece of chocolate or stickers or, you know, like maybe like a date with dad coupon or something like that. And and hide it somewhere around the house. Then write out two or three different sets of instructions for finding that prize, but only have one of them be true instructions. Have the other one send the kids on a wild goose chase. Now, take it from someone who learned this the hard way. You have to explain to the kids beforehand that the directions may or may not be true. (laughs) If you don't explain that beforehand, most people end up crying and nobody learns anything. Um, So make sure you explain that beforehand. And then send your kids out on this treasure hunt. If you only have one child, you know, you can have them pick a set of directions. If it doesn't lead to the truth, you know, where the prize is, have them pick another one. And then debrief afterwards and talk about, you know, like, why did it take you three times to find this? You know, like, or why did only one of you find this prize? And then talk about, you know, well, two of the sets of directions did not tell you the truth. They did not tell you where the prize really was. And then you can introduce that definition. Truth is what is real. So just any activity that you can do to help your kids determine, you know, like, okay, this is what is true. This is what is real. This is what is not. If you have even older kids, if they don't, if they think a treasure hunt would be lame, give them a recipe for your favorite family dessert. 
you know, and alter one of the, alter the recipe, you know, and then have them try to create this favorite family dessert. Just as a little disclaimer, make sure your children do not get salmonella. They don't burn the house down. Be careful with this. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, like with the altered directions, then ask me, why did we end up with this sticky mess? Or like, why did we end up with this really salty cookie? Um, You know, because the directions did not tell us what was true. They didn't tell us how to really make this dessert. So those are just a few different ideas can do with kids of different ages, just to help them understand this concept that truth is what is real. It sounds like something that would be fun in a classroom too, in a Sunday school, right? Can you, you know, everybody brings their, their parents a cookie at at church time and (laughs) horrible. You know, I I don't know. I think it could be really fun. (laughs) Elizabeth, obviously, we love what you're doing at Foundation Worldview. Um, I think this is the third time we've had you on the podcast. So we're big fans of your ministry and we're 100% on board with the need of communicating truth and worldview to kids at a young age. I mean, it makes a, a huge impact for them to be prepared as they get older to already be thinking about these things. So keep doing what you're doing. Again, we got questions. are big fans. And thank you for the encouragement. But I got questions as well. So um, just briefly, um, what else is new going on at Foundation Worldview? And what is the best way for people to acquire the um, What is Truth book for their kids or grandkids? Yes. Um, So our latest project, Lord willing, next week, we're going to be filming videos for an upcoming curriculum called God's Good Design. And it's on the goodness of God's design for embodiment, gender, marriage, and family. And uh, believe it or not, that's going to be for kids ages four on up. So kids roughly ages four to seven or age four to eight, just to build the positive biblical theology of God's good design. So we're really excited about that. Um, And then to find out more information about that or other curriculums or the book, if um, people go to Foundation worldview.com. You can find out all of that information there on our website. Well, fantastic. Um, Melissa and Sayla um, yes. firmly endorsed the book. They both loved it. And it was fun for <laughs> us to read it. Um, so <laughs> highly recommended. A really good first step for helping kids to understand the concept of, of truth. That truth is what is real. So Elizabeth, um, thank you for joining us today. Again, um, Melissa, thanks for joining me in the interview. And I'm just one question for you. Um, where am I taking you for dinner tonight? I don't know. We'll see how the rest of the day goes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. This has been the Got Questions podcast with Elizabeth Urbanowitz on her new book for kids, What is Truth? Got Questions, Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. Your questions, biblical answers. The God Questions Podcast. Check us out at podcast.gotquestions.org.